about a year and a half ago, we did a series called um, Can We Talk About It? And one of the premises of that is actually what a fifth century theologian by the name of Augustine or Augustine said. And what he said was, he said, our emotions are like smoke from a fire. Our emotions are like smoke from a fire. And what he was saying was the idea that the smoke is not the fire, but smoke is indicative that there is a fire. And so in our modern uh, parlance, we might say something like, you know what, if your fire alarm at your house is going off, don't ignore it, don't get used to it, don't take a hammer and hit it and take it out of commission. Realize that that very well could be indicative of something deeper going on. And it's always good when the preacher gets convicted. So like four weeks ago, five weeks ago, after the message, I was sitting there out in the lobby and talking to different folks. And this, a grandmom came up to me and she just said, hey, next, do you go to this car? Do you take your truck over to this car wash? And she named the particular car wash. And I'm like, man, I take it there all the time. And it says, hey, next time you're in there, <laughs> it, paraphrase, next time you're in there, could you, could you act like you're happy? Because my grandson works there and he told me that you come in there a lot and every time you come in there, you look sad. Now, now, now come on now, initially, initially I wrote it off to being a, you know, an aide or a choleric or driven or whatever, but God began to kind of do a work in my life and started to show back to what Augustine was saying that could that be smoke from a fire? Could it be the fact that, uh, you know what, you'd lost some of the joy of the Lord? And then you kind of put on top of that the Oklahoma University women's softball team that if you hadn't seen it, I don't think ESPN wants to show it any longer, but basically what they are, they're, they're a bunch of Christian young ladies and they gave such honor, and I'll come back to it, they gave such honor and they talked about the joy of the Lord and I was like, I'm the professional and somehow I've missed it. I'm the professional. I'm the one that's supposed to have joy. I'm the one that's supposed to be happy. Now listen, church is to be an honest place. I don't want you and I to put this kind of cheesy grin on and act like everything's awesome. And you know, God bless you, brother, when the whole world is falling apart for you. But Psalm 42 is very heavy. Let me tell you on the front end. Psalm 42 is heavy and it's heavy and you can see it right from the prescript. The prescript says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Right off the bat, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And the whole thing is about, I think it's what Martin Lloyd-Jones called spiritual depression, what we're gonna call despair. Despair is a place you never wanna go, and if you do go there, you don't wanna stay very long. Despair is something you really don't even wish on your worst enemy. Despair is when you have kind of gone below the hope line. It's when you can't seem to see God at work anywhere. You can't see how God can bring this situation or this circumstance and bring any honor to himself, much less healing to you. When you are self-destructing on the inside and you are spiraling on the outside, what do you do? And we talk about the word gospel means good news. And we talk about it all the time. The word gospel means it means good news. It means good news. But in order to be good, the good news has got to go into bad places, and there's not much of a worse place than spiritual despair. When you look at it in this one, right off the bat, the prescript, not only, we're not even in the text yet, but it says, why are you cast down, my soul? And then it says it's a mascal. Now, to be honest, we don't know 100% what that means. As a matter of fact, they just transcribed it and try, instead of translating it, because they don't know what it means. But the best we can tell is the word mascal is a Hebrew word that means to instruct, to teach, to make wise, 
to help you and I make good choices because the honest truth is when you and I are spiraling out of control, we tend to make very bad choices. We make terrible choices. We make choices that leave long lasting scars. And what's even more amazing on this text is it says who wrote it. It says from the sons of Korah. Now I know that a lot of you are like, who is that? That's not a real prominent Bible name. Well, Korah was a guy that actually was supposed to walk with God and lead God's people, but long story short, he disobeyed God and God judged him. Now, the good news of that is these are his sons. These are the sons and the sons are actually professional. They are like the, they're like the worship leaders up here, so keep that in mind. The ones that are articulating this psalm through the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are professional worship leaders. And they are asking the question, why is my soul cast down? But the good news, by the way, of that is these are sons, these godly worship leaders, that means that these sons are not judged by the sins of their father. In other words, the good news for us is your past doesn't have to determine your future. I think it was Crawford Loritz, he said to our staff one time when he was talking to our staff, he said, when you were born, you look like your parents, and when you die, you look like your decisions. When you were born, you look like your parents, but when you die, you look like the choices that you have made, and that is the reality. And so again, and when you're in the midst of the mess, when you've lost hope, when the hope has gone below the, that line, uh, this psalm is for you. And by the way, if your life is awesome right now, praise God, that's awesome. We are happy for you. To be honest, my life's pretty, pretty, pretty cool right now. I mean, it's pretty awesome right now. But realize you need to bookmark this psalm because I promise you, you will be here at some point. At some point in your life, you will be in Psalm 42 and you need to figure out what do I do, what do I do? And what you have to do is you have to do what's kind of counterintuitive to what you want to do. So start off in verse one and here's the way it says it. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams. Some of your translations say, as a deer pants for water. And that's, that's a fine translation. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. But when shall I come and appear before God? Now, if you grew up in church, or I know this was like the first song when I was in college as a brand new believer, the, the first song, this is one of the first songs, and it was so tranquil and so peaceful. And the picture in your mind was like this nice doe, and it was sitting by the stream, and it was tranquil and serene. And you thought Hansel and Gretel would like come out of the woods, and that's the, that's the kind of thing that gets put on needlepoint and cross stitch and coffee mugs. But please look at the text carefully. That is the opposite of what it's actually saying. He's saying, as a deer pants for the water, as a deer is exhausted and he is wanting refreshment, he can't find it. He wants water, he can't find it. And what the psalmist is saying is, I wanna know God is at work and I wanna see God in my life and I wanna sense God near me, but I just don't sense it. I just don't see him. My soul is thirsty to see God actually at work in my life, in my midst. If we're honest, most of us have been in Psalm 1. If you've walked with the Lord for any number of years, you have been in Psalm 1. You ever been there? Psalm 1, God, I want to see you at work. And it comes in a number of different, number of different scenarios. Maybe it's your marriage, and your marriage is, you've, you, know, you tried, and you tried hard for a while, and you thought it was going up and up and to the right, and all of a sudden it's going down, and you figure it out finally, you know what? Or at least you're thinking now, it's never going to be what I thought it once could be. 
Maybe something happened that was kind of dramatic in your life. You got turned down to a school. You got turned over for a promotion. You got rejected from a ball team, whatever. Maybe you broke up with somebody and they're telling you stuff and insulting you on the way out the door and all the stuff they're saying is starting to echo in your life over and over and over and you can't get it out of your, out of your mind. Some of you, it's been less than a year since somebody you really loved died and passed away. And now you, you not only miss them, but you're also very, very lonely. And is God gonna bring anybody else into my life? Some of you are single again, and you've gone through the trauma of a divorce, and you're like, man, I don't even wanna dip my toe back in the water of this whole dating thing again. Maybe it's the fact that you've got this illness to which you feel bad all the time, all the time, and it just wears on you. Maybe the fact is you messed up once again and you told God you would never do it again and yet you find yourself at the same trough that you were last week and you're wondering if God has finally, for the last time, run out of patience with you. Maybe the fact is you're like, my soul is cast down because you had some glimmer of hope that your prodigal was starting to return to the faith and all of a sudden that gets squashed and now you're like, my soul is in despair. So it doesn't take all that much to get in verse one. And when you look at it, verse three says, my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, it's hard to tell are the critics saying this or is he, is he personifying his tears? Either my tears or my enemies, they say to me, it's like a chorus, where is your God? Where is your God? They're mocking him. They're making fun of him. Remember, these are the professionals. These are the ones that preach the sermons. These are the ones that lead you in song. They're the ones that are now saying, God, where are you in the midst of this? And he's not talking about a bad day. He's not talking about you having a bad day. It's talking about despair where you can't sleep well where you cry yourself to sleep. The critics are mocking him. Where is this God you've sung about? I heard you at church the other day singing about the greatness of God. Where's that great God now, bro? Heard you talking about God as your deliverer. He isn't delivering you now. I got promoted, you got cut out. The background that they tend to think in this psalm is David and the worshipers, they are, they've been kind of kicked out of the kingdom. And so if they're kind of like collaborating on this psalm, it could be that David is thinking these same thoughts. Those voices in his mind are like, you know what, you think you messed up. You think, you think that's not going to scar the rest of your life? A <laughs> man after God's own heart? Are you kidding me? You messed up. Your kingdom's messed up. Your job's messed up. Your family's messed up. And your son just kicked you out of the kingdom man after God's own heart. And so what you gotta distinguish though, loved ones, and this is a spiral you gotta be careful of, this is not just disappointment. Disappointment happens to everybody and it happens every day. All disappointment is, is when expectations are not met. Somebody doesn't meet your expectations, something doesn't meet your expectation, and you're disappointed. That's life, that's reality. We get over it, it's not a big deal. You don't deal with that, then the next level down is you and I can call it discouragement. It's deeper, it has some staying power. You're losing your ability to think clearly. You're losing your ability to see God in the midst of you. You're, you're, you're missing, how is God gonna work this out for his glory and for my good? But then you stay there long enough, that's when you get to spiritual despair. 
Despair is when the wind is knocked out of you, when your hope is gone, when the train has left the station and it's not coming back. And again, you don't want anybody there at all. And that is where we make bad decisions. That's where we make really bad decisions. Some of those decisions scar us for the rest of our life. Now, here's what we talked about about a year and a half ago in that whole emotion series, is in our culture today, emotions are absolutely lifted up as the preeminent way to think. You know what, if you feel your emotions, those are authentic and you be the authentic you. You be the authentic you and the authentic you is to be about how you are feeling that time. And one of the things Crawford Loritz, and he's one of the guys preaching here in the fall when I'm out, is he said this, he said, he said emotions make great passengers but they make terrible drivers. That's awesome. They make emotions, they make great passengers. It's a gift from God. We don't want to be emotionless, but they are terrible drivers. And um, when you're in despair, you've got to choose to do some things that you do not want to do. And what you feel like doing, what I felt like doing before, is shutting God out of isolating yourself and listening to the voices and then doubting God's love for you. So what I'm going to do is I try to figure out how to outline this, and psalms oftentimes don't outline. They're, they're a little bit less like a symphony, and they're more like jazz. That is, they kind of go in and out, and this psalm is the same way. It kind of riffs over here a little bit, and it comes back, but what it tells us is this thing is a battle. Even at the last verse, verse 11, he still is going back to what he said in verse 5. In other words, it's not like, hey, do these three steps, and all is going to be awesome, but these are three things that came out of the text, and the first one is this, is you're going to have to make three choices. Choice number one is you got to choose honesty with God. Choose honesty with God. There is a rawness to Psalm 42 that is freeing. There's a rawness to it. When you read the whole Psalm, this is not what's in your daily crumb or whatever that thing is. It's not in there very often. It's not the one we take a part of the verse and we think it's a tranquil setting when it's the opposite that I'm spiritually exhausted. Even in verse 9, it says, God, you are my rock, but why have you forgotten me? In verse 7, it says, your waves, they've gone over me. In other words, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. Now, I know nobody here has actually drowned, but I actually looked it up, and they said the average person can hold their breath for like 30 to 60 seconds. And after 30 to 60 seconds, you will drown, that the urge to breathe will overcome the fact that you know that you're in the water, and you will take a breath of water anyway, and that's when you will die. And that's what he says, I feel like. I feel like you're holding me under the water in wave after wave after wave after wave after wave. And he's like, I'm exhausted. I cannot hold it any longer. And so it is raw. And again, these are the worship leaders that are saying this. They know the verses. They, they know the theology. They know the songs. They know the big theological terms. They know how to spell sovereignty. They know what omnipresent means. They know what omniscience means. They know all of those things, but there is a disconnect with their soul. There's a great song. I know the worship leaders, they got nervous because about Tuesday, I put on a little Instagram story, Psalm 42 from Shane and Shane. And sometime when I do something like that on Tuesday, they're panicking because they think on Wednesday, hey, we got to get a whole song together. And it's like, no, 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 no. Don't panic. Don't panic. But it is a great song. Psalm 42 by Shane and Shane. There's this bridge in there that says this. On this, deep calls the deep, waves of unbelief. Breakers crash and bring me, falling to my knees. It goes on and on and on. Where is my God? But then it switches and it's like my salvation is in you and in you alone. 
You're going, you will be there at some point. Next week, you're going to see, you're going to see a story of God at work that I'm not going to, I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but about three months ago, I got an email uh, from Joey Bryson. Joey Bryson is the son of Tommy Bryson, who was murdered uh, a number of years ago, right down, right down the road from where I live. And he talked about the journey, and he'll talk about it in the story next week, the journey that he went on after his dad was killed and how his dad was his hero. And the journey he went on with God, and it's not pretty, it's, he was so honest in the email, much less in the video, about how, you know what, I almost lost my faith, and I, almost, I actually I felt like I did lose my faith, and then how God took him full circle. I, talked, I do a Zoom call with my three brothers almost every Monday, the way we kind of stay close. We stay close. We used to stay close because we'd all have to congregate every once in a while to check on my mom. But since she has passed, we stay close by doing a Zoom call almost every Monday night. And we usually, we usually end by praying for each other. Do you have any prayer requests or anything like that? And my brother, who's a businessman and a politician in Texas, he simply said, I've got an employee who's 24-year-old son because two of us are actually pastors, so he thinks we're the professionals. Like we know what to say in all situations, is what he thinks. And so he's like, "Hey, I've got a, I've got an employee, great guy, and his 24-year-old son was uh, killed in a car wreck with a drunk driver going 90 miles an hour in a divided highway, and he goes down the wrong way. He's like, what do I tell him? I was like, bro, you don't. There's no words you could. It's, I know we just talked about the ministry of presence." That be there, just be, be there, be there. There is no sermon, there's nothing you can say to heal that right on the front end. And what I'm trying to tell you is this, some of the greatest Christians in all of history have struggled and have been there, but the one thing that you see is they are honest with God. I mean, you think about, you go down the list, you got guys like Job, I know we think Job ends well, read the book carefully, his faith is strong in Job chapter one, and he is hanging on barely by the end. Take Moses, Moses got sick of the people of God, he's like, God, why don't you just kill me? Three hour business meetings, I can't take it anymore, why don't you just take me out? Jonah, David, probably the worst case was Jeremiah. Right in the middle of Jeremiah's book, he's like, God, you seduced me. That's the word. It's the word for seduction. You seduced me into being a preacher. I've been preaching for decades and I see nothing happening. The people hate me. The people want to stone me. They just put me in a pit. You tricked me. And people are like, well, you can't talk to God like that. Listen, there are another 20-something chapters in that book. But be honest with God. And what we're going to see is God's not necessarily going to, he doesn't deliver them all from the storm. He delivers them and walks with them through the storm, but starts your, your journey out of despair is being honest with God. Just be honest. Second thing, look at verse four. We talked about this a little bit last week. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. There it is. That's what, that's what some of us need to do today. We just need to pour out my, our soul. We need to be like that dad in the Gospels that his son is hurting himself and throwing himself in the fire. And he's like, I do believe, I do believe, I really have a general sense of belief in you and I understand the goodness of God, but I just don't believe in this situation. I mean, I've been there, you've been there. And he says, I do believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, but this area I'm struggling to believe in. And that's what this psalmist is saying is like I do as I pour out my soul 
And look what he does. He says, as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng. And lead. remember, these are worship leaders. He's looking back. He's remembering how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. So be honest with God, choice number one. Choice number two is this is the hardest one. This is the hardest one. And to be blunt, this is, I feel, based on observation and or personal experience, this can even be harder for men. And it is this, everything in you wants to isolate. And so what you've gotta do is choose community and not isolation. He talks about, again, we talked about it some last week, but he's thinking back to his church, his community, and his worship with the people of God. And he looks back and his soul is longing for congregational worship. See what it is? He's like, I look back when we used to go to the worship together and we used to sing these songs and I'd hear you have these loud shouts of praise and I'd hear all these words of testimony and we'd go to the festival and all that's awesome. By the way, since we talked about singing last week, I'm not going to rephrase that, but I actually looked up some or saw some stats this week. Do you know the way that God has made you in his image, but he's made you in such a way is that your body actually releases some endorphins when you get together and you sing. And this is just actually, you can sing like, I mean, some of this stuff's gonna happen whether you're gonna, you know, your endorphins are gonna get released whether you're at a Garth Brooks concert or whether you're at Morgan Wallen or whatever. But even 50 times that, when you get together with the people of God, what God does for you spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, just singing the praises of God. Some of the stats said, if you will do, you actually live longer. So you can not only come to church and learn how to live forever, you can take your time actually getting there if you actually sing and participate in the songs. And that's what he's saying. He's like, listen, when I think back on that, something happens to him. And I think, I thought back to that. I mean, I still frame it. Again, I know we got a lot of our Florida people and I joke with you all a little bit that Y'all come up here and it's awesome, we love you, but y'all didn't have COVID in Florida. We actually had it here. And when we, the fact we had it here, it was some crazy days, crazy days. And there were some dark days, to be honest. There were some dark days in that time. And I, I began to think back this week, looking over it. And, and if you're an introvert, like I am, for about two weeks, set aside the fact of how tragic everything was, but just a pure aloneness for like two weeks, just being alone, it's actually pretty cool. You know, and for like two weeks, for two weeks, you're like, you know, I could get used to this. Uh, just two, you know, coming up here and preaching to nobody and then putting it on the table. It's like, but after like two weeks, it's like, man, I so miss, I so miss the people. I so miss the people. I so miss you coming up and introducing a friend you brought to church with you. I so miss hearing the stories of God at work in your family or your prayer request. God, will you, hey, would you pray for me? I've so missed, and I know our campus pastors, they meant like praying for you in the lobby, not just saying, hey, I will pray for you, but actually praying for you right there. I so miss you actually coming back and saying, God, look what God did. Look what God did. Look how God answered that. And um, so I jotted down over the weekend. Here's some of the favorite. When I look back, again, we've had a lot of years together, so here are some of the ones, and some of y'all been here a week, and some of you have been here longer than I have, but here are a few of the ones that came to mind when I just look, if you're like, hey, look back when you were with the people of God, here are a few of them. There's been several that we could just call spontaneous baptisms. But when you see like, when you see a couple hundred people all get baptized, 
right in front of you. And one of, one of the best memories I was like, I think the first one, and we didn't know what to expect. And I remember up here in, in uh, East Campus, it was Matt Ware was leading worship that day, Big Red, he was leading worship. And he was like right up here. And um, people just kept coming, people kept coming. And I'd see the people over there in the corner and they go like, four more. And then we baptized four and they're like, eight more. And they're like, two more. And it kept going. And so the only song they had is the glory is yours, which is a pretty athletic song. So they went through like 19 stanzas of the glory is yours. The glory is yours. I'm pretty sure when we were done, Matt had had like his whole workout. He had a six pack and everything after that deal. It was so, I was like, I look back on that, seeing him sweating up here worse than I do. It was, it was amazing. Um, the first good Friday service we had, that was just back in 2019. But it's just how deep the Father's love, there was something set up kind of back in here. And I'll tell you one that goes way back, like I think uh, like 13 years, we had a service called Cardboard Testimonies. And I still remember some of the people, they would come up here in a cardboard testimony. It's old now, but at the time it was new. And they basically, here's, here's, here's how God found me. And then they'd flip the cardboard box over, the cardboard sheet over. And it's like, this is what God has done. And I remember just story after story, after story, after story, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, you know what? I was an orphan and you know, a young man lost his dad and then he'd flip it over. And it's like, you know what? Uh, but I'm now adopted and I have a family. And then you'd still see some of them were still in process. I remember a couple I'm real close with. It's like, you know, our daughter took her life, you know, but then over here they'd flip it. I was like, still hurts, but God is good. And you start to see those stories. I, I look back on that. Um, I remember a lot of you, we talked about forgiving people and how you all wrote down who you needed to forgive and you snapped those sticks. Remember that? You wrote it down. You like had those little paint sticks. It's like, hey, don't hurt yourself because don't, don't splinter people. But you like wrote that down. You're copping it just to hear the noise all over the place. That's, that's an awesome memory. Um, my wife said, you know, the first post-COVID normal schedule uh, was awesome. I remember when you all came and you put sticky notes about somebody you were going to pray to come to Christ for 21 days. You were going to call out their name to God and how we heard story after story after story. Um, I've actually got a box, by the way, in my office that I keep and I read every once in a while because there's like thousands of these. Would you pray? I'm praying about this. And you all were so blunt and so honest. And you're praying, I'm praying this addiction would go away. And I'm praying this and praying this. And what it helps me just, it helps me kind of feel like I know you. And it's like, you know what? If this person is going to entrust that. Now, we had tons of people pray. Um, but it's awesome that you entrusted that. I think back to when you all just, in, you, you come introduce people that you have invited to church and it's their first time. And they're like, they either come to Christ in the service. Those are, those are, it's easy to look back on, on those. And one of the things you got to remember is last week when we talked about singing, we talked about how God doesn't need it. You understand that God doesn't need our worship. It's not like God's up in heaven going, I have no good singers up here. I got nobody up here in heaven. It's not that at all. We talked about how the fact that you need it, you and I need it, you and I need it, but believe it or not, loved one, you got to understand also you're part of a body and the people around you sometimes need it, whether you know that or not. I mean, so when you're singing about deliverer, guess what? For some of us, you got some guy down the row from you thinking, okay, can I finally put down, finally put down these drugs? Can I finally get off this meth? Can I finally have a community that I don't have to go down that rabbit hole any longer? You got talking about something about God's faithfulness and you're singing some song and then you, they hear you singing about God's faithfulness and you got a couple in the row in front of you and they're thinking, you know what? I don't know if God can actually heal our marriage. And then they hear about God being faithful and all of a sudden, well, let's give it another time. 
So over and over and over again, just understand you were part of that. And one of the things that uh, we we've talked about a hundred times as well is when you look, and I, I know I put down cats a lot, um, but those brothers are serious predators, correct? I mean, when you watch the Discovery Channel or Animal Planet or whatever, I mean, you get those lions or those leopards. Leopards, man, they're leopards are killing alligators in the river. I mean, that's, no dog's gonna do that. I can promise that. I would say this, but when, what do they typically go after? And this is very cat-like. Who do cats typically go after? I mean, they go after the weak, right? There's actually a study that said your cat would kill you if they could, all right? I'm, and I believe that, I believe that. They would kill you if they could. Why? Because it's built into their satanic DNA. That's why. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. They will go after, they will go after the wounded and they will go after the one that has no hurt around them. They will go after the wounded, the one that's got the bad leg, the one that's got the limp. They're like, boom, that, they're not gonna go after the big healthy one. They're gonna go after the one that has the limp and the one that has no protection. And if you're here and you're like, man, I've been hurt and I got scars and maybe even another church hurts you. And again, I'm not the church apologist because we at some point, we will accidentally hurt you as well. I'll say something that's kind of whatever. But listen, you gotta get back in the herd, bro. You got it, there's safety here, all right? Let some people, you're like, I'm not healthy right now. That's fine. That's even more of a reason to get back in the herd, get some people around you. I don't even have to tell y'all, about half y'all don't even go to Connect Group, and I'm like, I don't know what to do any longer. I mean, I don't tell you, Connect Group, you need it, you need it. In a Connect Group, you, know, you never know you need it until you need it. You understand that? You never know you need it until all of a sudden you're in Psalm 42, and you're like, I wish I had some biblical community around me. So the number two thing is, Choose community, don't choose isolation. So here's the last one, we gotta spend a little bit of time on this. And it's actually verse five, and the same thing is said in verse 11. Verse five says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I mean, he's like he's got multiple personality disorder. He's like, in one hand, he's like, I'm so down, and in the same sentence, he's like giving him, he's talking to his soul. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Why, verse 11, same thing. I'm showing it to you so that you understand that the battle, it's constant. It's not like you do it and it's all over. You gotta continue to go back to this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So number one, gotta be honest with God. We need to be honest with God. Be honest with God. God, this is the deal. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm struggling with. Number two, it's like I gotta choose some community. I gotta get some people around. The, the spiritual decision God could lead you today to do today is simply go in the lobby of your campus and say, how do I find a connect group? Give me a good one. The pastors and the staff, that is like their number one call in life is to help you find community because where that happens, all the other stuff in your discipleship journey tends to start to fall in place a lot better. But then the third one would be this, and this is, we've talked about this in different forms before. You, you have to, you gotta choose to preach to yourself. You've gotta choose to preach to yourself. Do you see what the psalmist is doing? He is preaching to himself. He's not taking some self-improvement book and preaching to himself. He's taking the Bible and he's taking the gospel and he's preaching it to his own soul. Over and over, he's like, soul, you gotta understand this. Hope in God, he is your salvation. In other words, David, the sons of Korah, stop listening to yourself and start preaching to yourself. 
Probably the definitive resource that I came across this week, if you wanna kinda do a deep dive into this whole thing, is a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones that I mentioned earlier called Spiritual Depression. Spiritual Depression. Whole book is kinda based on Psalm 42 and then he branches out. But two quotes that he said in there, he said this. He said, preaching to yourself, he said, there is a sense in which the primary role of the scriptures is to teach us how to talk to ourselves, talk truth to ourselves. But the one that always makes the rounds that most people will quote is this. He says, the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual despair is a sense in which that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Instead of talking to ourselves. What he's saying is kind of what we've talked about is you have got to speak faith to your feelings. Feelings are authentic, but they're not necessarily accurate. You feel a certain way, and if you feel a certain way long enough, then the voice of your enemy starts to talk to you, and if you are not careful to apply some truth to it, you do go down the rabbit hole. That's what happens. We see it all the time here, all the time. This is what I'm feeling, this, and there's nothing wrong with feelings. And you understand, okay, we walk by faith and not by sight. We understand that. It's in the Bible. It's in 2 Corinthians 5. We understand we walk by faith and not by sight. But do you understand that we walk by faith and not by feelings? We walk by faith and not by feelings. And what you have to do is speak truth to your feelings. And it's not going to happen immediately. But you speak enough gospel-centered truth to your feelings. And they will eventually start to come in line with the truth. Not automatically but eventually. And that's what he's doing right here. He's just saying, soul, soul, why are you acting like this? Why are you acting like this? Why are you acting like this? And, and again, I don't know how to dodge this whole thing about, okay, what is your mental? I mean, I try to, I try to stay. I'm a preacher. I'm a theologian. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a theologian, I guess, but I'm just saying what I'm not is I'm not some clinical psychologist. And so I'm not trying to dive in there about, okay, where is it your voice? And where is it, this enemy's voice? I'm not really sure, but I think most everybody can say there are times when you're like, where did that thought come from? Where did that thought come from? You're just walking along, you have a pretty good day, or maybe you're having a pretty bad day, and all of a sudden a thought comes into your mind, and you're like, where did that, where did that come from? And I will just tell you that there is enough scriptural evidence that your enemy can communicate with you in some way. I mean, if he's gonna lie to Jesus, I'm pretty sure that he can lie to us, correct? I'm pretty sure if he can lie to Jesus and tempt Jesus, I'm pretty sure you and I are not gonna be immune to your enemy lying to you and somehow communicating and speaking to you. That's probably not gonna be the same three temptations, although actually those three temptations that Jesus had, they all come in those three lanes. But it might sound something like this. You might get this, and oftentimes it's not just a thought, it just, it's a pattern of thinking. We've talked about before, when you came to Christ, you got a bunch of new stuff. You got a bunch of new stuff. You got a new heart. You got a new life. You got a new future. You got a new name. You got all this new stuff. What you don't get when you come to Christ is you don't automatically get a new mind. And so if you're like me and you came to Christ late, I had a lot of years of thinking, stinking, thinking, a lot of time, and I still got to go, okay, replace the lie with the truth. Replace the, I still got to do that. I've been a Christian 35 years and I still got to do that, go back to patterns of thinking I had when I'm like a 17-year-old teenager. But here's some of the thoughts that come up that you hear different people hear these in different ways. You hear the thought comes to you something like, you are so ugly, 
What a failure you are. You failed again, you failed again. You're never gonna get victory over this. Nobody loves you. You did stuff you know is wrong. You don't even believe the stuff that you actually did. Or our teenagers get taught over and over and over again. You're just a cosmic accident. Just some goo came together in this chance meeting billions of years ago and you're just a cosmic accident. You're just an animal. So why don't you just act like one? Or here's one. Uh, by the way, when you look, um, when you look and you see the temptation that Jesus went through, what did he do? I mean, he just said, it's written, it's written, it's written. He replaced the lie with the truth over and over again. And um, you have got to be able to do that. So somebody comes and you're like, you're ugly, tells the teenage girls, you know, like you're ugly, you're ugly, or you're only going to be beautiful if you, you know, if you're loose or whatever that is. And you've got to be able to go back. And if you're a dad, you've got to be able to teach your daughter some of these things that, you know what? The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made and my soul knows it full well. Yeah, but I don't feel loved. I don't feel loved. Well, the Bible actually says that God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so you go through these lies and you've got to have some truth to replace it. And like, I feel so condemned and God has put me on the shelf and he forgot who I was. You know what? There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You're like, I don't even know how to pray all that stuff. You got all these verses memorized. Well, you can too. Or you can just have like a cheat sheet and on your phone and just have some that you can draw up real quick. May I suggest taking a little section of arguably the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter eight, and from about verse 31 to 34, let me read it to you and show you how you, this combats about 80% of the lies. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So what do you do? You take Romans eight and you apply it to your own personal life. So put it in the personal. If you're in Christ, if you're a son or daughter of Almighty God by repentance and faith in Jesus, take Romans 8 and put it through a gospel lens. And so when the lie comes to you, it's like, you know what? God's forgotten you. God forgot your address. I still remember seminary guys that had all the theology just like these leaders did. They had all the theology. They had left, in many cases, their hometown. They'd left their dad's business. They felt called to ministry. They just finished four years of seminary, just like Lori and I did. We we're all pumped up, excited to go to our first church, our first pastorate. Woo! We're, it's awesome. We're going to Blue Grove. And it was, a, we were awesome. We were so thrilled about that. But you got some of the same guys, many of them much better preachers that had the same four years, that had the same Greek and Hebrew, all that kind of stuff, worked their tail off. And all of a sudden, no church is calling them and they're like, God, have you forgotten where I live? Don't you remember? I sent my resume to like 50 people and none of them are calling me back. They're in Psalm 42. God, where are you? God, where are you? What you got to be able to do is like, you know, what shall I say then to these things? If God is for us, if God is for me, if God is for me, who can be against me? You know, that's a great thing. I'm going to get it later on in the series, but there's a little book called uh, that I'm reading right now called. Is it? I might flip it. It's either I think it's pray, praying like monks, living like fools. Praying like monks, living like fools. It might be praying like fools, living like monks. I can't remember. I think it's I think it's actually praying like monks and living like fools. And one of the things that he makes a great point is the reason most people don't pray is they. They understand theologically God loves them, but bottom line, you don't want to hit your knees and pray because you think in some way, you, even if you're a believer, if, as a believer, you think God, God's got a scowl on his face and he might love you because he's obligated to because his son died on a cross, so he's got to love you, but he doesn't like you. 
And you got to go back to like the minor prophet that says, God sings over you. He sings over you. Go back to Psalm 32. You hear songs of deliverance. What shall I say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for me, who can be against? God is for you. You don't die for somebody you are not for. Well, I'm not sure I'm loved. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for me, will he not also give me all things graciously? And then it's like, well, I, I feel so condemned. I feel so beaten down. I've got such a cloak of shame. Well, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Justification is just as if you've never sinned. You have sinned, but because of what Jesus has done in your life, he looks at you just as if you've never sinned. So you're sitting there going, I feel so bad. I feel so bad. Those are feelings are correct. <laughs> they're, they're authentic. They're not accurate. Now, if you're not in Christ, I don't want to make this thing. If you're not in Christ, you are still under condemnation. I'm not trying to be happy talk here. If you're not in Christ, the first thing you need to do is repent and embrace Christ, which why would you leave church after hearing about a God who loves you and moves towards you that you wouldn't want to say that? I want to surrender to the Lordship of Christ, but who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. He is interceding for me. You know, one of the coolest things that this will be the last that, uh, you know, that OU, that go back to that OU softball story. You know what their motto was? This is like, this is what actually I, I should have called the sermon this, honestly. Their whole motto, because go back and just watch the interview. It's like four minutes. It's like four minutes. And these like college girls, they preach more gospel than some preachers ever do in a whole sermon. And they just talked about the glory of God and the person of Christ. And one of them actually said, you know what? When I was a freshman, we won the College World Series and we celebrated and it was awesome. And then the next morning I was like, is that it? Is that it? And her quote was, you know what? I had to find Christ in that. In other words, all the stuff of this world that people said would make me happy only made me happy for a night and then I'm back to the same person. And then they talked about the joy of the Lord. Then they talked about the only way this, because these reporters are like, with all the pressure on y'all and y'all won like 50 games in a row and all the anxiety and all the expectations and all this stuff. And you got these college girls and they're just like, you know what? What we learned is the fact that there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on happenings and joy is based on Jesus. And that's like the, the media was like, all right, all right, all right. we just, we just kind of wanted the normal bless God and be highly favored. That's what we wanted. But they like give a legit testimony, not just to the people in the media. I'll tell you what, they gave one to me. Because all of a sudden, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go in that car wash with a big smile on my face, whether it's real or not. I'm not going in there looking sad, mad. I'm going to go in there looking glad. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We t on our response time, there's a song called I Need You. And what we try to do is we try to pick songs that reflect what is some of the probable responses of the scripture text. And Lord, I Need You is perfect for this one. Lord, I need you. Lord, I mean, it doesn't get any simpler than that. Lord, I ain't got this. And for, so, for some of you, you're in Psalm 42 right now. You don't have to imagine it. You don't have to dread something coming ahead. You don't even have to look back at something. You look at what's going on right now. And you're like, Lord, I need you. I need you so bad. And you ought to be the first one up here just, God, I need you. I need you. You don't even have to know what to say. The people will say it. They'll sing it for you while you're on your knees crying out to God. Our big deal is like, are you honest with God? Let's be honest with God. Of all the things of the church, we want to be, we want to be a worshiping church, 
We want to be a mission-minded church, and we want to be authentic. We want to be, this is like, this is not a bunch of perfect people. We're a bunch of messed up people who've been saved by the grace of God for the glory of God so we can tell the story of God, but we can't do that if we're just kind of being pretend and plastic Stepford Christians. We can't. So let's be real about it. Part of that is saying, you know what? I don't have my stuff together. Lord, I need you. I need you in our marriage. I need you with the prodigal. I do believe, help my unbelief. God, I'm getting tired of having this chronic illness. God, I'm really kind of finding myself, I'm in a bad place right now. God, I I beat myself up because I can't understand how I can continue to fail. The Bible says, listen, the righteous man, he might fall seven times, but he gets back up. And so you need to get back up and you come back and say, God, would you set me up straight again? So here's what I'd like you to do. If you just stand your feet all over Hendersonville, Brevard, West, East Asheville, Franklin, all that. So here's what we're gonna do. Number one, just be honest. Uh, Again, I do believe, help my unbelief. And you come and pray. For some of you, you're thirsty for something and you didn't even know what it was. You came here because somebody invited you. And uh, you need to say, I need you to come to Christ for the very first time. Right there with your eyes up and your head up, and just like, I need you. I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. I need you to save me right where I stand, right where I stand. If you're online, same thing. God, I need you. I need you. I wanna surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And then you let somebody know. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna either sing just sing this song, Lord, I need you. A lot of you need to come up and just pray and give some stuff over to the Lord. And then, um, and then we'll be done. Father, we wanna thank you for the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus, that the good news goes into some bad places. We're grateful. There's a, thousands of testimonies right now about the goodness of God and how we look back and we cried out to you. We cried out to you and you saved us. But there's a lot of circumstances right now too that we need to have that same posture of humility, that same posture of, I do not have what it takes. I don't have what it takes maritally, financially, physically, relationally. I don't have what it takes. God, I need you. You are my defense. I don't know how this is gonna work out. I don't know how, I'm, I know you love me because of the cross, so I wanna get my eyes fixed on that and not just my circumstances. So God, help us over the next few minutes to worship by song as well as come to you because you have paved a way for us to come and speak to our King and you're the one that can make a difference. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.